It's another edition of the Making Money Show with the financial coach, Ron Hebert. I'm Gord Whitehead. Well, we don't want to take on the roles of marriage counselors here, Ron, but we're going to dip into the water of that situation on this particular edition of Making Money. Because divorce can be a very costly enterprise for all parties involved. Yes, and it's like owning a car. Sometimes the best thing you can do is preventative maintenance before things happen. And what we're trying to talk to everyone about today is just if you haven't tied yourself up in a relationship yet, there's a few simple things you need to look at before you do that could save you a lot of grief later on because, frankly, if you don't do so, it can be devastating both financially and emotionally. Well, I think we we all know people that have gone through divorce. We all know people that have horrible stories to tell. It's heartbreaking. It's heart-wrenching. It's financially devastating for a lot of people. Let's talk about some of the mistakes that maybe we can avoid at the front end. I think one of the big things, and I learned this myself through personal experience, I was married previously. Uh, My first wife and I used to have joint accounts. And when I was out of that relationship before I remarried, the, the thing I said to my, my new bride was, look, let's, let's stay independent here. There are some assets I guess you can co-mingle, but is, it a best, is the best idea to manage your own affairs? Especially this is true if you've got a high differential in assets coming into the relationship. For example, I know this couple where she'd been working maybe a decade and she got an inheritance from her parents. Between her house and her investment accounts, she had a million dollars. She married a struggling medical student, and the struggling medical student had some loans and virtually no cash and no physical assets other than what he had in between his ears. But as soon as they got married, they put the house which was given to her by her parents, and the investment account, which a lot of that was also an inheritance, they put it in joint name. The marriage lasted until he graduated from medical school, and then it exploded. And of course, he came into the arrangement with no assets. He left the arrangement because all the assets had been commingled. In other words, the assets had both names on the account, The house had both names on the title, and so when they split, he was entitled to half. So he took, he left the arrangement with half a million dollars, more than he came into the arrangement over a couple of years. She left with a financial haircut. Her net worth went from a million to about half a million dollars. And of course, the emotional side of it was this money was from parents who she was very, very close to. And it hurt her deeply because the money that her parents had worked a whole generation to save ended up being split with a guy that she no longer loved. That's And, and we hear stories like that, Ron. So what's the best preventative antidote, anecdote we can pass along? to be? Is it a prenup? Is that one thing that people should be looking at? Backing up just a little bit. If you have assets that you bring into a relationship and you split up and you keep them in your name, if you divorce, those assets remain yours. Typically, anything that is earned after the tie-up gets split. 
So that's why we're talking about assets you're bringing into a relationship. And of course, if you think that you're going to have a business or something that you've worked on for years that's going to explode, and you want to make sure that most of that stays in, in your name. If half of it goes to a spouse, they can vote against you. They can make things very, very difficult for you. So a prenup is a very, very good idea. And really what you're doing with a prenup is you're just sitting down and you're laying out a plan is that you're hoping the relationship works, but if it doesn't, you've got a roadmap in place that is legal that will help you disentangle everything with the least amount of frustration and stress because all it is is a roadmap that if we split up, these assets are mine, these assets are yours in this particular percentage. And uh, it makes it far less stressful for you because frankly, divorce is a stressful thing. And typically you're egged on by your friends, often you're egged on by your kids, and you're certainly egged on by your lawyer. Well, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you know, and your your emotional level can go from one to ten almost immediately. And generally, you're in no shape to make a, mo a non-emotional, rational decisions because often it boils down to revenge. So, if you have a prenup in place, you put together the prenup when supposedly you were you were more rational. You hope. You you told me a story, an anecdote about a client of yours that met somebody and they were dating and they actually sat down and she suggested to him, okay, let's have a meeting and let's have a show me meeting. And, and well, you can explain what that process was. Actually, it was one of the greatest stories I've heard about just being rational before you get into a relationship. Uh, this lady I've known for years and I love her to death. She lost her husband and she met another man and they were, they were going to the concerts and things together. They were both uh, retired. And before they got serious, they sat down and had a conversation with one another. And she said, look, let's go out and we'll have a show me date. We'll go out for dinner and you bring me your last year's tax return and I'll bring you my last year's tax return. And of course, she brought her tax return, which was quite substantial. And he brought his tax return, which was way more substantial. <laughs> and But they both had a chance to take a look at what the other person had done. So you weren't inheriting a financial boat anchor if you got married, someone with debt or someone with uh, all kinds of, of lawsuits pending. These individuals both were, were very, very solvent. So there was no financial issues them getting together. And they solved that issue by just eloquently sitting down and saying, look, let's just show each other what we have. Let's just put our cards on the table so that we can rationally go forward with our relationship. And I think that it would be a great idea for most people to do, especially before you tie the knot. I mean, just in the news, you think back not that long ago when Jeff Bezos and his wife decided to go their separate ways, it was well publicized because of his profile as the guy who heads Amazon. That was a costly one. That was a very costly one. Of course, Jeff Bezos, depending on what Amazon stock is worth, because that's where the bulk of his net worth is tied up, is uh, had a net worth of anywhere between 80 to 150 billion during this whole procedure. 
and uh, he and his wife, Mackenzie, ended up breaking up, and that is the most expensive divorce in history. Uh, she ended up getting $35 billion, not million, billion dollars, and that makes her the third richest woman in the world, and it sets the number one spot for the world's most expensive divorce. And the stats are kind of mind-boggling. You'd made some notes here. In Canada, roughly four out of ten marriages will end up in divorce. So this is not, we're not just making pie in the sky comments here. This is real hard fact, fast, fast facts that if you're entering into a relationship, you should do so with some cautionary notes attached to it. Yeah, and frankly, the idea that you get smarter the second and third time <laughs> it doesn't exactly hold out. The statistics show that 67% of second marriages fail and 73% of third marriages end in divorce. So you think you're going to get smarter the second and third time around? Well, not so much. And the other statistics are kind of heart-wrenching too. One in five women will experience poverty after divorce. And, and the children in relationships can often end up in really dire circumstances as well. You know, 50 percent or more of children that are involved in a marital breakup end up in poverty. So divorce can be financially devastating, and that's why it pays to sit down and plan these things out in advance, because nobody wants to have a legacy of having a, a broken relationship and everyone in dire financial circumstances as a result of it. And if you go in with your heads up, you can prevent a lot of this from happening. All right. So, and the other thing is you made reference to the fact that the legal costs in a divorce can often get to be pretty stifling. If you, especially if you have a complicated financial arrangement, that meter just keeps running at the law office. I've seen divorces where it's run for 10, 15 years where they fought each other. And it's usually over the valuation of assets. I, I sat down with a, a friend last week and uh, they'd fought for years over the valuation of assets. So a lot of them were in real estate and private businesses. And it's very subjective how you value some of these things. And they fought back and forth. And the last time I checked, his legal bill alone was over 2 million bucks. So you know, this stuff can get really expensive. And if you look at the three biggest reasons people file for their divorce, number one is finances. That's ahead of 68%. Number two is infidelity. And number three is falling out of love. But screwing up on the financial front is the biggest reason people end up in the divorce courts to begin with. And then you start fighting over it, and it just makes it worse. I can just off the top of my head, this just popped in here. I, I recall a situation down in Mexico where my wife and I vacation frequently. There's a resort hotel, in it's in Mazatlan, and it's one that's owned by a Canadian couple, from my understanding, that has fallen into disrepair. Would be a general, that would be a bouquet for them. This property has been fought over for some years now, and given the, the part of the world that it's in, of course, the climate's a big factor down there. It's sad to see beautiful beachfront property. 
It's just an absolute shambles, and it's still being fought over in the courts. It's not worth anything right now. I think probably more value if they knocked it down would be my opinion on it. But that's the kind of thing that can happen, correct? And what will happen there is because the lawyers will now have nothing to get paid on. They'll end up possessing, uh, doing a repossession, taking the property to themselves and trying to sell it. So the only people you've made money for are the lawyers. So here again... You can avoid most of these problems by setting out the roadmap ahead of time. So if things don't work, you've got a pre-programmed schedule which allows you to amicably break up because the rules are in place before you fall out of love, not after. All right, there you go. Not that we want anybody to end up in divorce court. If you'd like to prevent that trip, make sure you have a good plan going in. That's rule number one on this edition of the Making Money Show. We always say that we like to take your questions, and we have a question here from somebody. Samantha was listening, said she's a new listener to the show and apologizes if we'd already covered the topic. A six-month-old son, and we're looking at setting up an RESP account for him. Is this something I can manage myself? What type of investments would you recommend, and could I set it up at my bank? And we have kind of been over this territory, but it's not not hard to revisit it, especially when we've been talking about something like about families and family relationships. You want to look after your children. Ron, what do you advise there? Well, I think that the easiest way, because if you've got a six-month-old, you're probably busy enough as it is, is you'd mention, can you set one up at a bank? Yeah, set one up at your bank. And... When you set up the registered educational savings plan, because your son is only six months old, there's no money in the account, you can put up to $2,500 a year into the RESP. The government will then take 20% of whatever you contribute and add that to it. So you can put up to $3,000 a year away for an education. And frankly, I've had four kids go through university, and it's not hard to the bills over a four-year education, even if they stay at home, to be between forty and fifty thousand, and if they're living away, try sixty to eighty thousand dollars a year, uh, just for expenses and transportation and books and all those other things. The costs, especially if they go to an Ivy League university, where the costs are a lot higher. So, max out the RESP as early as you can, and uh, that should. I know I did for all four of my kids over their the the seventeen year life that I could I could contribute, and frankly I was shy a little bit because I had a daughter go on for advanced education, but it covered all four of my kids their first four years, and they lived at home to go to school. So, if you put away the three thousand a year, that should cover your costs. The best way to do that is go down to your bank, get a good equity fund. In other words, a fund that buys stocks get maybe a good Canadian fund to start or a good international fund, and then just set yourself up on a pre-authorized checking plan, PAC. And so you put roughly $200 a month into this. And to invest other than buying a mutual fund, there's not much you can buy for 200 bucks a month. And because a mutual fund allows you to take smaller amounts and put it in. The fees are a little higher, but you have smaller amounts that you can put in. If you put them in monthly, it allows this to grow very, very nicely. And being that your son's only six months old, you've got lots of time. And over the long haul, equities have outperformed everything. So start with a good equity fund. Just go down to your bank and open it up. You can set it up so that it's linked to your checking account. So the money just seamlessly comes out every month. 
And you have these, you have the ability to, to put money into an RESP until your child turns 18, is that correct? If yes. I recall, yeah. Yeah. So you've got 18 years, basically, or 17 and a half years. You could put, just do the math, if, if the numbers stay the same, it's about $51,000, which is a pretty good dent in a child's education plan. Absolutely. And if it, uh, you get some growth out of that as well, and uh, you've managed the money prudently, uh, you might even be able to pay for their master's or even PhD program with it. So there you go, Samantha. Hopefully that helps you out about an RESP. And again, if you have a question for the financial coach, Ron Hebert, you can reach us through the cfcw.com website, and it will go straight to Ron's inbox, and we will address it in future episodes. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for joining us on the Making Money Show. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.